Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right, what's going on? Welcome to Off the Bench. Hanging out with my man Raja Bell. Uh, did you watch the college football no. rankings release show? I did not. I did not either because I've pretty much resigned myself. Not to ruin my Tuesday nights. <laughs> like I just want to, I want to be able to enjoy the family. Right. I don't want to be grumpy. I don't want to get upset because I've done this before. Like it's the fifth year we've done it now. And every time I see them, I'm like, what is this committee thinking? How can it be? And in the bigger, bigger picture, there are only four spots that matter. Mm-hmm. There are only four spots that matter, right? And I don't have a problem with their top six. Like the top six, I had the same exact top six in my, uh, rankings that I did this week. So no beef with that so well. Right. Bama top, Clemson, Notre Dame, Georgia moves up into the four. No issue yep. with that. Oklahoma right behind them, Ohio State. But then it gets a little bit interesting. Yeah. Because I think the committee still continues to completely disrespect UCF and I think they wanted to hedge just a little bit by not putting them ahead of Michigan so that they're a little bit closer just in case you see mayhem in conference championship games and I thought they left Michigan there at 10 and 2 even though they have two losses yeah uh, ahead of UCF just to kind of hedge from that one I thought you would it would have been more of a telling tale if Mackenzie Milton hadn't destroyed his knee. And, like, just a little side note. Like, yeah. Apparently the surgery went well and the guy's blood flow and so all that's good news. But now they could always say that UCF's not the same team, right? Right. And they, they do factor that in now. So stupid. I hate that. So here's one of the things I hate about that. Because isn't, like, historically sports are a team sport? Yeah. They're not supposed to matter if you lose. Like, look how many teams have gone on the NFL. Oh, you can't do that. Going back. No, dude, Why you not? can't do that. Why because not? You're, you're, you guys are the same guys that'll sit here and tell me that, like, uh, without a quarterback, yep. we can't do anything. So, right? yes. But sport, if you accomplish everything sports. in the regular season and you're that good, your team must be pretty good. It can't be. Now, he's Mackenzie Milton is special. He's an incredible quarterback. But they still have run the table just like Ohio State did. Actually, Ohio State didn't run the table that year, but they had a really good season. Yeah. Who's their quarterback? Cardell Jones comes in, plays three games. Didn't affect them. Why should it affect UCF? Because, because they don't have man. Cardell Jones. Well, yeah, but nobody knew who Cardell Jones was at the time. No, I hear you. I hear you. I'm just saying it in a perfect world to really get a gauge and really hold them to the fire for like just saying we're just not going to let UCF in. Right. Right. If they, they can have an excuse. Now they have an excuse with McKenzie. Because here's my beef. Jeff Hosteller won a Super Bowl with the Giants as yeah. a backup. Um, Earl Morrell won a Super Bowl as a backup with the Dolphins. What about last year? What happened with the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah. Nick Foles won as a backup. No uh, doubt. So, like, they're re- like, yeah, quarterbacks they're are great. They're pros, though. Well, like, but, they're all, but, but I just gave you Cardell Jones with pro- Ohio State. That's different. So that, that's why I don't like when teams get knocked for that Exception one. to the rule. All right. So I think it does matter when you're comparing similar teams. Yeah. Like if you had both, but I think they're undefeated and they should be, uh, they should be given credit for that. You think so, UCF, like just before you get into it, you think UCF, Michigan, you put them on a field together, you think UCF beats Michigan? Uh, I think they would score on Michigan. I thought Michigan's no, that's not what I asked you. got exposed. No, I, you. No, I, you. No. <laughs> I think Michigan would be favored by a nine point. Ten. Yeah. Okay. I got and you. I think, I, think, I would boat. give UCF a chance. Okay. I think they, Michigan might win, but I think UCF could win too, which gotcha. I think is a pretty, you know, equal opportunity there. All right. Oklahoma at five, Ohio State at six. Yeah. I think most people are making an assumption and I would warn you strongly, don't make this assumption that if Oklahoma beats Texas, and Ohio State beats Northwestern, that you're just assuming uh, Oklahoma's going to bump up there. I do not think that's a safe assumption at all. This committee has shown before they're willing to completely look at things differently within the span of one week. 
We saw in the TCU Baylor years uh, when they were tied co-champions. TCU, I think, was at third, and they bumped out because a couple teams behind them won. Um, and I don't think it's any different here. I think you would see the committee go back and look. I think style points matter. Right. I think if Oklahoma was in another shootout where their defense looked poor and they won by a field goal, which I could very well see a situation like that, and Ohio State goes out and demolishes Northwestern, just like they did a few uh, that same year when they won the championship. They snuck into the playoffs because they beat Wisconsin 59 to nothing. And right. it's impressive. I think you could see a situation like that where if Ohio State goes out, takes Northwestern to the woodshed, I think the committee could say, hold on a second, these last two weeks Ohio State has looked dominant, and I think they could jump, they could leapfrog Oklahoma. It would drive Oklahoma fans nuts, and it should. Yeah, it would suck for them, but it wouldn't necessarily bother me. Um, we talk, I, where I talk about it all the time about like, you know, when you're coming into playoff situations, sometimes it's the hottest team. It's the team that's playing the best at whatever game they're playing, um, going into the playoffs. It's the trending team. And so if you're comparing apples to apples, um, you know, both teams, one loss, both teams, if you're comparing apples to apples, I'm going with the, the hotter of the two teams. And unless I'm not comparing apples to apples and one of them is clearly a better team. Do you know the, what I mean? Yeah, for sure. The resume, but I don't think they are clearly better. I don't think Ohio State is. Well, that's what I'm better. saying. So like at, at that point, it wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily bother me. Right. If Oklahoma, I mean, Oklahoma barely won. Ohio State looked great again. And then they said, okay, well, we're going to take Ohio State and bump them above Oklahoma because they're that close. It's a very tough decision anyway. And Ohio State would clearly be the hotter, more trending team. I'm, a, I'm okay with that. It's a really, it's a really tricky debate because if you put the resumes next to each other, they totally have different things going for them. Because Ohio State has more impressive wins. Right. Had more wins over top 25 teams. Oklahoma doesn't. But Oklahoma's loss was a really tight game against a rival. And Ohio State has this ugly loss. So, like, they both have significant, you know, cases to be made for and sure. against. And it's going to be fascinating to see what the committee does. Vegas is usually right on things like this. Right. You know, they're usually right on everything. That's why they have the big buildings. Uh So, Barrett Salee actually put out earlier this week, he had the odds from Bet DSI. That Ohio State is actually the favorite from Vegas really? to get into the playoff at minus 140, which is a pretty significant favorite. Oklahoma at plus 140 is more yeah. of a long shot. Georgia at plus 350, that's a real long shot. So I think they're saying Bama's going to beat Georgia. Right. And then UCF, like I think they have no chance, plus 4,000. They have that's, no chance in the playoff. I hate yeah. it, but I think that's that's them telling you they have no chance. I'm curious to know what Vegas, if they think, I think what that's telling you is they think they lose to Texas. Right. Even though Texas, even though Oklahoma is a favorite this weekend, I just feel like they think they're a, uh, they're going to lose there, and then that would give Ohio State the easy edge. Like if Ohio State wins, then they're in. If Oklahoma loses, it's tough to be somebody twice. Yeah, especially when you're in a like it wasn't like a uh, convincing win the first time you were talking about. Uh, uh, Do you remember uh, how that game unfolded? So Texas was up twenty eight. Yeah, no, they came and out and popped Tyler them. Murray like brought them back. But all I, the way. I felt like Oklahoma was sleepwalking. Yeah, like I, I don't feel like they're a twenty eight point better than than. Oklahoma team, Texas right. that is. So I feel like, you know, you have teams that are pretty evenly matched and it's a rivalry game. It's hard to win two of those within the span of like four months. Yeah, for sure. All right. So we'll have to see how that plays out. I do hate the fact the Big 12 championship game is at noon. Yeah. I just don't, I think championship games feel bigger. Like I don't even like, I think the SEC championship game should be in prime time. It's at four. I mean, credit. Hey, it's a great show. CBS way to go. Part of four. <laughs> but I like feel like championship games should be in prime time, but then they want to space them out. Yeah. I want a whole Saturday of football. So then that's what you do. Yeah. Big 12 gets shut the door. Cause I think it's 11, it's 11 a.m. local in Arlington where I will the listen, game, dude. That stinks. I will actually, I need to get a cooler in, in the, in the area where I watch, but I like an actual, game? an actual fridge. Cause I don't have one. So I'll have to actually wheel a cooler in there. Yeah. Uh, and then when I run out, I'll just send my boys back and forth to get beers. All right. So. 
I kind of buried the lead a little okay. bit because I was a little bit upset about UCF. But the thing that becomes laughable, and I don't even get mad anymore, it's just kind of laughable, is when you see what happens with the SEC. Because this committee, the whole time since they've started, they have had a love affair with the SEC. Right. And I'm mildly okay with that. Like the no, you're SEC, not. <laughs> the, uh, SEC, the SEC is a great conference. It yeah. just means more. Like yeah, yeah. Their, their fans <laughs> cannot be matched. Their right. fans cannot be matched. But you cannot tell me that Florida is the ninth best team in the country with three losses. Yeah. You cannot tell me that LSU is the tenth best team in the country with three losses, including getting shut out at home to Alabama and giving up 74 points in a loss to Texas A&M. Like, you cannot tell me that. And I just, it's ridiculous. And then 15, like that Kentucky at, at nine and three is an absolute joke. Uh, and then like the back end, it's like, who really cares? But I don't, I think they're all too high. Like I wouldn't even have a problem if you had eight teams in the top 25, if they were ranked properly towards the back end, then to be all backfillers, which basically, basically they are. My biggest beef is that Washington is the best three loss team and they should be ahead of Florida. And you asked the question earlier. I actually hope these two teams do get to square off. In a New Year's Six Bowl, because I would love to see Washington play against Florida or LSU. Yeah. Get a chance to kind of get another shot at an SEC team on a more neutral site, although it won't happen because all these bowls, again, it would probably be in the Peak Bowl, I think, or uh, around Atlanta. So it would be somewhere that would favor SEC fans. But I think Washington would get the best of both of these teams. Um, well, that'll be interesting to see how many of how many good matchups they have in bowl season, right? And see what the SEC does, whether it supports your argument or if it, if it doesn't support your argument. I just, you can't come on here anymore and say it doesn't bother you. Like, I don't have a whole lot to give <laughs> well, you on right, this subject, so but you don't get to come on here and say it doesn't bother you. <laughs> all right, so and then it say, bothers a little bit yeah. because all I want is fair and equitable treatment of college football players. Okay. So it's from a pro player. No, I'm right with you. So the, the SEC. You just don't get yeah. to say, I don't, it doesn't bother me and then but come so, back and. But I have a purpose in life. Right. I figured out what it is. That is your Purpose. It's the purpose is to explain to people that they actually do play tackle football outside of the Southeastern Conference. That, like the Big Ten has you were put here to football do. team. Yeah, yes, I, I was put you. here to do that. The <laughs> Big 12, it may look different. Right. It might be a lot of offense. Sure. But they still play tackle football. No, I'm with you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I hear you. Like they yeah, I feel, I feel get, you. They get free passes. They don't get as much criticism from a loss right. against a conference opponent. And they absolutely don't get as much. Uh, they get way more credit for a win, as is ev- evidenced by uh, Florida being number nine and L. Yeah, I can't argue with any of that over Washington. So it bothers just a little bit. <laughs> uh, something that I think has been totally glossed over is Notre Dame. Yeah, has a ninety-nine percent chance to get in the playoff. Correct. I don't think it should be that easy of a decision because I think it's messed up. It's a flaw in the system. Much like it was a flaw that Ohio State got in a couple years ago right. when they didn't even they didn't play for the Big Ten championship. Much like last year when Bama got in, didn't even have to play for the SEC championship game. And then you got Notre Dame this year. I know they're undefeated. They've had a great season. But the fact that all these other teams have to lay it on the line this sure. week. Sure. They could get hurt. They could lose. All these things come into play. And Notre Dame's just kicking it at home, watching them all, just getting ready for the announcement show. Like yeah. That, to me, is a flaw in the system. All and these other teams are going to play 13 games. They only play 12. It's a huge advantage. Um, huge. But I do think that Notre Dame deserves to be in and should be a lock. Um, you do. Well, I do. Notre just Dame should be up for like discussion. Nah, no, nah, I think they're, I think they're that good. And I think what they've done this year speaks to that. Like I use a little bit of the eyeball. We do that all the time. But, but, um, I understand what you're saying though. Like I, I, I hate that you allow them, like I'm in politics, college football and NCAA and so on and so forth. But if everybody else has to fight for a conference championship and, and that weighs into the decision as to whether or not they get to play, uh, in the college football playoff. 
then you have to make them play for something. Right. They, they have to play someone for right. something. But they've set a precedent by allowing Ohio State in, by allowing Bama in. Now they can allow Notre Dame in. So that's why there really isn't – it's not even up for debate right. because Notre Dame is in. But if I'm if I'm at any one of these other conferences, first of all, I'm trying to schedule as light of non-conference as I can. Right. I just want to, I just want to run the table. Like that's right. why I would roll the dice and say I'm going to try to go undefeated – if we get a loss, maybe to a conference opponent, it's not that big of a deal. And then you, you know, you try to, you just kind of, you risk that. Right. If you don't do that. The other thing I'm doing, if I'm the Big Ten or Pac 12 or Big 12, they play nine conference games. I would change my schedule immediately to eight conference games, play four cupcakes. Then you inflate your schedule a little bit. You inflate your record. Right. And then you get eight teams in the top 25. You say, look at all these teams we have with eight or more wins because our schedule is lighter. It's just Correct. a different schedule. It's, like, it's a win-win for everybody in the, in in the conference. conference. Yeah. yeah. So, like, if I'm Larry Scott, who's making a boatload of money, I just saw an article the other day. He's getting paid more than every single head coach in the Pac-12. Really? More than Chip Kelly, more than any, you name it. Yeah. Like, any of them. He's making more. I think he needs to address that. And he needs to address it quickly because they've, they're they getting left out more than any other conference because they're banging up on yeah. each other. Uh UCF, I'm going to give you a scenario. You tell me if UCF gets in. Okay? No. Let me give it to you. That's the answer. All right, go, me, yeah, go. Bama beats Georgia by 50. Okay. Drops a 50-burger on Yeah, sure. Right? Clemson loses to Pittburgh, Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh 24 to 3. Okay. Embarrassed. Yeah. Notre Dame sitting at home, right? Yep. So they're in Bama and in Georgia Notre Dame got embarrassed. Right. Oklahoma loses to Texas. Sure. Uh, close. In a close game. Ohio State gets whooped by Northwestern. All right. Who are you putting in? So I'm sitting there with Bama and Clemson. Bama's a lock. No, Clemson, Clemson got lost. smoked. I yep. got Notre Dame in. Yep. Um, teams. Alabama, Notre Dame are in. Yep. So what I got, are you filling those last two spots with? Are you going with Texas? Is three no, no, no. I th- they would slide in under that scenario. You know, right? Because you're talking Michigan and then UCF, right? Everything else becomes a three-loss team. Yeah. Other than the ones that just got beat but in their see, conference here's what I think. Here's what I think, and I would love to see it happen. You said Bama smoked yeah. Georgia, right? Yeah. I think they still might have Georgia mm-hmm. and Overstop. I'm telling you, Stop. they just do not respect the. You said five fifty-four teams. nothing, didn't you? I didn't say <laughs> no, fifty uh-uh. burger. No, bro. Stop. I'm telling. You. What about Clemson? The Clemson, you said barely lost. Correct? Is that yeah. what you said? They would put in Clemson over that. Yeah, probably get Clemson in. It's just messed up because they really don't have a chance. So, but I'm saying UCF because you're my boy, and it's going to help. You know <laughs> what right. I mean? Like, I hope so. Uh, good news from Mackenzie Milton, as you mentioned before. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. We'll do a little bit of uh, NFL. My top ten are out. Boom. And uh, we're going to do some other stuff too. Why I don't know what it is, but we'll tease end, that when it comes out. <laughs> All right, coming up. All right, let's take a look at my top ten here because we have a little bit of a shakeup. Uh, I've got the Saints on top. They jump back into the top spot. Okay. Rams fall one. Even though the Rams, I went back, kind of looked at them, like you know what, the Saints did beat them at home. Right. And if things carry out, Saints will have home field advantage throughout. So they're playing at home, and I would like them. Chiefs jump back to the top ranked team for me in the AFC. The Patriots. Although I just look at the Patriots, I don't love them, but I have to. Like you have to respect what they're doing. Sure. Steelers, Chargers move up pretty good after uh, present performance from Philip Rivers. Texans stay in the same spot. Bears, they drop two despite having one with Chase Daniel. And then the Minnesota Vikings, God, those guys are right there. They're in just in right the there. thick of things. They're always in it. They're always going to be in it. And then guess who pops up in there? The Seahawks. Yeah. Um, who I think would smoke the Vikings. Oh, don't even try me Damn. like that. Better quarterback. All right. Well, let's see if we'll <laughs> No, that is true. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I wanted to see if you were actually. Oh, yeah. I'll give you Russell Wilson over uh, Kirk Cousins. For All right. now. For now. For now. We got to build up Fair a little enough. resume to go forward. Uh, the Saints, my number one team, they've been awesome. They've, they're great at home. Yeah. But 
They start a nice little road trip here, which I think will be tricky for them. Yeah. Three-game uh, road trip, starting with the Dallas Cowboys. Then they go to Tampa, and then they have Carolina. And then they're home for Pittsburgh and Carolina to finish out the season. Uh, they've won 10 straight. They're 5-0 and on the road this season. But something's got to give because the Cowboys all of a sudden have figured things out. They're 5-0. and uh, as, uh, they won the past three games, excuse me, and they lead the NFC East. Yeah. I think they do present a challenge. I think we talked about it yesterday with the Texans. The Cowboys, as much as we were all ready to write them off, fire Jason Garrett, get rid of Dak Prescott. Right. They've found a little mojo, and I think that's going to present a problem, although I think New Orleans still is a better team, and I think New Orleans wins. I'm with you on that. They, they, it could be, um, problematic for a quarter, a quarter and a half, but ultimately I don't think the Cowboys have enough firepower to match up with the Saints, you know? And then, you know, you talk about a team that really, really likes playing in the dome. They would also be a team that would probably want to play in warmer climates. So the road trip all in all, when you're going to Dallas, you're in a dome. So I'm going to, they're fine. They'll beat Dallas. You're going to Tampa Bay. That's not going to be an issue. Um, and at Carolina, depending on the weather, that could be a, that could be a cold game in Carolina. Um, it's big physical, um, on both sides of the ball. So that, that could be an issue, but the other two, I don't really see a big, a big deal. I, I, you know what we do though, and we do it all the time, and I think you just can't, cause there have been, there have been Mondays we've come in here and be like, well, how did that happen? Like, like the Steelers, I was all in on yeah. the Steelers. And then they almost lose to Jacksonville, and then this past weekend they lose to the Broncos with that ugly big, uh, Ben Roethlisberger interception in the game, and you're like, oh, wait, all of a sudden I doubt them. I feel like the Saints will be them, but it wouldn't surprise me if they lose one of those games. Yeah. Like, it, like as crazy as the NFL is, I wouldn't be surprised if like Tampa Bay, like Jameis gets hot, they get in some shootout, and they come out with a win at the end. Right. Uh, but I still think they'll come out of this still in a pretty good spot. But they also are playing for something too. If there's a if there's a carrot that you can dangle in front of professional athletes, kind of keep their focus to keep from the letdown, and they know the importance of home field advantage. I think that might be something that uh, Sean Payton might be able to hold out over. Them. Not only that with them, because I agree, uh, but they've got an overall. We talked about like they feel like the season is a destined season. Like they lost out on an opportunity last year. They felt like they got shorted, and so the whole you know your whole season becomes this motivated motivated thing, right? Like yep. it's not about necessarily you know winning a division or getting the home field. Like their vision. Um, is we, we got robbed last year, so we got to get back to where we should have been last year. And so you, you become a team of, of destiny to some degree, you know, at least in your own mind. So Demarcus Lawrence, Cowboys defensive end. Yeah. See what he said about no, the Saints offensive huh. line? This is good. I don't even know if Coca's heard this. I'm sure he has. This guy, our, our guys are all over everything. I really wish I could read this in Demarcus Lawrence's voice and like yell it. Right. Cause it sounds like he's really mad. Uh, uh-huh. if you hit a bleep, bleeper, bleeper, in the mouth, <laughs> you can assume what I said. Bleeper, bleeper. If you hit a bleeper bleeper in the mouth, and then they ain't doing what they're regular doing, putting up 50 points, they start to get a little distressed. Now you got them where you want them at, and then you bleeping choke their bleep out. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Out there and just yeah. Like it is. Right. So I actually like a little smack talk. Like you so often guys are so careful about what they say. Marcus Lawrence is like, yeah, bring it. Like, um, go. Yeah, I don't mind it. The problem is like, the Saints and their head coach like right. run their mouths, exactly. right? Like you got Kamara and Ingram running their mouths after games. You got the head coach running their mouths. Like they might not be the team that that's going to affect at all, right? I guarantee you, at some point in that game, Sean Payton might make a point of it to call out Demarcus Lawrence, yeah, and, and give him a little back. Like say, remember that stuff you said? Like so, you just gave them a little motivation. Again, I think your best chance always in sports, and it's hard to do it, is to fly under the radar, just talk good about the other team. Do yeah. you take that approach, or do you like to talk a little? No, bit? no, no, dude. I was like, I, once you kick off, like go ahead, you. Can talk all the trash on the court on the floor that you want i didn't leading into the game just pump them up how great this opponent is i don't care who it is how great you guys are and then when you go out there you hit them in the mouth i don't talk, talk all you want i don't talk in game i didn't talk you didn't talk in game at all no. see i picture you as uh-uh. a trash talker uh-uh. I just, nothing no i always felt like 
if I talked and engaged, like people could could kind of figure out who I was. Mm -hmm. And I wanted no one to have any idea who I was when I played. Like I wanted them to be looking at me trying to figure out like what the hell is wrong with him. You know, like seriously. (laughs) And if I if I got into enough conversation with you, you start to figure out that I am a nice guy and that I'm you know what I mean? Like I had a shtick. There was a personality. It was almost like I was in character. I'm not the dude. You were kind of like a silent assassin almost. Yeah, I just went out there and went to work. Or like, you know, if my job was to defend you, I didn't say anything. I just locked onto your hip best I could and rode with you and, you know, I'd shoot you an elbow or foul you. I I, I would do what I needed to do. Right. I just wasn't going to talk to you about it. Who, did anybody get close to getting in your head where they were talking so much trash to you that you got off your game? Um, no, I don't. I'm sure it happened. I don't really remember anybody like verbally getting under my skin, but that physically there were times where, you know, guys were doing stuff, and I didn't feel like the refs maybe were were calling it even. And yeah, there were situations where I'd lose my stuff. You would talk to the refs, right? I talked to the refs, yeah, all the time. <laughs> yeah, I talked to the refs all the time. Did I ever tell you Warren Sapp, like he talked more trash than anybody at every level. Did he? And the worst part about it, so my worst game in college was at the Orange Bowl, my first start on the road at Florida State, and it was against Ray Lewis and Warren Sapp and Kennard Lang, all those dudes. Like right, balls, right, 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 right. And uh Warren Sapp was harassing me all night long, got me a couple times on sack. So he he was yapping that whole game, like, you suck, go back, like all this stuff. So then, this is like two or three years later, I'm playing on the Giants. I'm uh-huh. starting the Giants. We're playing the Tampa Bay Bucks on Sunday Night Football. This is Tampa 2 defense. Like, they're really good. We're struggling. We're okay. He is out there still yapping, and guess what he's saying? Uh. He's like, I owned you back in the Orange Bowl, and I still own you. Like he's calling out plays that he had still like gotten me right. before in college, and bringing it back into the NFL. Did like, it affect did, you at all? Yeah, because yeah. I it was pissing me yeah. off. Like I wanted, I wanted to get the best of him so bad, and yet he just he had a way about him too. Like he could chase me down, which I like everybody chased me down. Oh, he was a but silly him, athlete, was, though. No, that yeah, was he a was, silly even athlete. though he didn't look like it. Like he looks like a Pillsbury Doughboy, I but wa- he would get after it. He could, he could move. So that team you mentioned, Kennard Lang, Warren Sapp, all those guys. My dad was over at University of Miami in their athletic department. Um, and so Your boy Rohan Marley, yeah, Ro- Russell, all those dudes. Tw- yeah, so I grew up in the gym with those guys because my dad would go down and hoop with them. So I'll never forget seeing like uh, Warren Sapp coming to the gym as big as he was and just standing flat footed under the rim and go up and just dunk a ball. Like, yeah, you know, I was like, what is that? Like, who- <laughs> right. that's not possible, you right. know? Dudes like Vince Wilfork, same thing. Like the amount of athleticism oozing out of those big bodies. They don't appear on the outside like they're great athletes. And all of a sudden, they just boom. And you're like, what? Yeah. yeah. Where did that come yeah. from? Uh, you talked about Russell Wilson. Do agree he's better than Kirk Cousins. <laughs> not like a hot take or anything. We're just stating facts, right. putting it out there to make sure, to, like, to test how far my love for Kirk Cousins goes. But the Seahawks, do you think they're a viable... Viable what? Team? Like, are they dangerous to do any damage? They're 50 to 1 odds yeah. uh, to win the Super Bowl. No. Uh, I think they're dangerous where... They're kind of one of those teams because they have Russell Wilson, because they've got Pete Carroll. Yeah, they have some weapons. I think they're kind of a, a headache. Like I think they're a that's team, what they are. I think if they make a if they get in as a wild card, I think they're a headache for a team that would that's have an to excellent them the characterization first. of them. I don't I don't think that they are dangerous to your to your like upper echelon teams, but headache. Yes, I would put them in the headache category. And that's that's like the worst case. You do not want to be in that situation. Like you want to avoid that team at totally. all costs. So you know it's going to be a little fun game. You see what's coming up there December 10th. Say, oh, a head-to-head Where's matchup. That? Where is that? That's in Seattle. Oh, yeah, it's a wrap. Oh, that's a wrap. all right. We have that's to remember this. Oh, man, that's a wrap. Mark the tape. That yeah. schedule is very 
manageable to say the least because you manageable. got two games left against the 49ers. Like those are two wins guaranteed. You got, you got two got games. The Cardinals, the Chiefs, and the, you got the Chiefs and and the Vikings. And four and out of Vikings. five are at home. That's crazy. Vikings are going to lose. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> and the Chiefs will be a fun like this. Like they got three winnable games and they got two that are kind of toss up games. Yeah, I can see them. The Chiefs though, I think are just another class. Chiefs but them. You never know. Watch. I think they go one, uh, four and one. Yeah. All right. So there was a little bit of uh not a little bit, a lot of bit of controversy because Reuben Foster. Uh, has had his issues off the field, several of them. And the, uh, the San Francisco 49ers, last year when he had his troubles, yep. he found out like he, the charges were dismissed, a lot of speculation that he pay somebody to make it go away. So the 49ers essentially told Reuben Foster, you have one more chance. Like, well, you can come back, we'll give you, we'll let, we'll let this one go, but you have one more chance. What does he do? At his team hotel when they were in uh, Tampa this past weekend, gets arrested, gets in trouble, another domestic violence case, and... So the 49ers say, all right, you, you gave our last one. Yeah. I mean, look at the, like the list of issues. I forgot he got sent home from the combine, which just doesn't happen. That's your biggest job interview of the, of your yeah, life. Yeah. And you screwed it he up. He gets sent home. He's been arrested three times since January 2018. He was suspended two games this season for those issues I mentioned with the 49ers before. Um, so then the 49ers cut ways with him. So you're assuming, like, I'm thinking he's done. No the one what? can touch this guy. He's toxic. Well, then yesterday it's reported he's claimed off waivers and everybody's like, what the heck? Which team would claim him? Washington Redskins claim him off waivers. Uh, why are you surprised? Why are you surprised? Well, I mean, listen, how good is Ruben Foster? He's a baller. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and there guy. you go. Like, if Ruben, in the world of sports, yes. if you're good enough that your good outweighs your bad, someone is going to take a swing on you. Someone is going to take a swing on you. Now, when your bad starts to outweigh the good, meaning like you can't perform or do your job yeah, at that level anymore, done. then they cut like bait. Ray and they you're gone. Ray Rice is an aging running back, so no one will touch. No you. one will touch you, yep. right? But as long as you're a, if you're still balling, and that's why I asked you how good is is Izzy. Yep. Uh, somebody's going to take a swing. It's the way it goes. Yeah, he was a uh, first round pick. He's played pretty well when he's been on the field. But here's the thing. Here's where I think the NFL has to step in because I'm sure the Redskins probably say, "Hey, well, we'll." We'll have him sit out. We'll do something. The NFL, like, this is where it gets really tricky. Like, what is the punishment? Right. You, like, can you put a number on it? Do you think he should be sent out for a year? Should he be banned? Should they have a, this is too far, he shouldn't play again? Because I'm always a little bit skeptical, but when you've had this many opportunities and you've screwed up this many times, right. like, you have to send a really, really stiff message. Because like you said, somebody will sign him. And the Redskins are willing to say, we'll wait it out. We'll say, we'll do we'll, whatever. For a chance, we'll Adam. Back. Yeah. But I feel like the NFL has to stay, this step up and make a really strong statement on Ruben Foster. Um, like I think a year suspension would be something that I would say, all right. But I, that might even – there would be people still petitioning and saying, don't let him play after a year. Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, look, I, everyone has their right. I don't know the ins and outs of the situation. Um, I, I did hear that it was with the same young lady that the first – like, and, you know. Right, that he's like, had a lot of issues with. Our yeah, life. so my my thing to both of them would be like that relationship just seems exactly. pretty toxic, dude. Yeah. So you guys probably want to. Yeah. Both parties just don't, don't you leave each other alone. Okay. Um, yeah, but I wouldn't have a problem with with the the league stepping in and suspending him. All I know is while you have a talent that that is really talented, people are going to take the swing, and even if it means they got to wait a year to get an opportunity, the option on it, yep. like some people will do it. It's just the way it goes. A lot of eyes to be on the NFL, uh, the commissioner, Roger Goodell, for sure, to see how they handle this situation moving forward. All right, we got to do some college basketball. Duke was on display again last Ooh. night. They let out some of the frustration from that Gonzaga loss. We're going to get Matt Norlander, our CBS Sports College uh, basketball writer, in to help us break it all down. Coming up next and Off the Bench. 
All right, welcome back to Off the Vents. Danny Cannell, Rajah Bell, hanging out, talking some uh, college hoops as Duke was in. They looked good last night. They looked night. really like good. They, kind of, they definitely were ticked off from the Zags, yep. that uh, beat down in Hawaii. So uh, they took it out on Indiana last night for sure. But let's get in our guy, Matt Norlander. He's our CBS Sports College basketball writer. you got to check him out on the College Basketball Podcast with Gary Parrish. Uh, that's Island College Basketball. Follow him on Twitter. He's all over the place, at Matt Norlander. What's up, Matt? How are you doing? Styling and profiling today with the suit and the tie, like dressed up for us. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know I got to come correct here on the show. I appreciate that. Doing well. And uh, believe it or not, we are more than three weeks deep into the college hoop season at this point. Plenty to talk about. Obviously, Duke and Indiana played uh, an interesting one last night. Not as close as we were hoping, but that's Duke for you. Uh, yeah, for sure. All right. Can you help us explain this debut of the NET rankings? Because Rajah and I were trying to look it up. Like, can you put it in layman's terms so that everybody can understand? Or is it even possible to do that and just kind of lay out what the new system is going to look like? Sure. I'll try and make this as simple as possible, even though it's impossible to make it so simple. Big picture takeaway, the thing that everyone needs to keep in mind is this. The NET or the net rankings, whatever we're going to call them, are not going to dictate who gets in and where everyone gets seated in the NCAA tournament. They're going to be a guiding light for that. The RPI no longer exists. The NCAA no longer uses it. So while there's been a lot of overreaction about this, it's not going to be as though if Duke winds up as ninth in the net rankings on Selection Sunday, but it's clearly one of the three best teams, it doesn't mean that Duke won't get a one seed. It's not going to work like that. It's just another metric. But the other thing to know about this is it's a a little bit flawed of a metric, and I pointed that out on CBSSports.com. I've got a piece up about the net right now. There are some issues that I think will need tweaking, but beyond that, we need to be patient. I know it's not fun to be patient. Nate Silver and I had a little bit of a back and forth on Twitter over this. Frankly, I was shocked Nate was so over the top in his criticism of it. It's only going off the results we have so far this season. The reason why the net rankings don't look like Ken Palm rankings or Sagarin rankings or BPI is those rankings factor in preseason accountability. This one doesn't. So we have a small data size. And I spoke with Dan Gavitt, who's the vice president of men's basketball for the NCAA, and he helped put this together. He said, we absolutely expected some wonkiness. We kind of figured there'd be a Loyola Marymount at 10 or 12, Belmont right there, Radford 22nd. Let's circle back in late January. And if we want to bicker over this and, and critique it when we've got 20 to 25 games worth of data for every team, then that's legitimate. But for now, let's just take a step back let it formulate. We can poke fun and have a little bit of fun with it, but I do think that this is going to work out to be just A-OK by the time we get to Selection Sunday, guys. Um, Matt, let's talk about the AP number one, Gonzaga. They knocked off Duke. It was a tough game. I attribute some of that to Duke just being young and not knowing how to close, but you did come on and say that Gonzaga was maybe their best version of themselves uh, to date. They still got a couple tough games. Uh, the, I think they got, who, number six, Tennessee, and then they got at UNC. Um, if they can navigate that, like what else stands between them and almost running the table at the number one spot? Not a ton, but I will say this, Raja. BYU is in Gonzaga's conference. I think that'll be a tough matchup for them this year, and St. Mary's is always good. I have a, a weekly column that goes up at CBSSports.com. You can check it out. It's called The Court Report. And in that, I mentioned Gonzaga as one of the finalists or most likely nominees to last the longest without a loss. But let's look at that schedule there. At North Carolina, I think, is where they get tripped up. So I don't think Gonzaga is going to be the last team standing. If they do get past North Carolina and Tennessee and win at Creighton, then, yeah, they've got a great shot. But I think they're going to get picked 
off here. But them being the number one program, I think, is appropriate and emblematic for how good they are this season. You see Rui Hachimura there, a fantastic talent, someone, frankly, that's got a good shot at going into the lottery. The reason why Gonzaga's vulnerable in the next two weeks, it doesn't have Killian Tilly, who's right there with Hachimura, guys, as Gonzaga's best player. And then Gino Crandall, who is a transfer, not one of their top four players, but certainly a top five, top six player. Gino Crandall's out for the next three to four weeks. So without two of their six best players, I just think Gonzaga's going to get picked off. But don't overreact to that. I still think they've got a great shot at being a one seed. And the fact that they beat Duke, that win is going to age beautifully. And right now, it's between Gonzaga and Nevada in the long run for the one seed in the West region. We saw Nevada beat Loyola Chicago easily on Tuesday night. But Gonzaga right now, in my opinion, clearly a legitimate number one team and should remain that for most of the season. All right, Matt. So we talk a little about Duke. So I think Duke has this effect on him, much like you see LeBron. Like anytime LeBron does something, we overreact, whether it's he looked great or he looked awful. I think we do with Alabama. Like they look great or they look awful. Like there's some brands out there that we just really react to. And it's sometimes it's a little bit over the top or it's, you know, we don't state things enough. I don't think it's like we just we overstate things with them. Duke comes back. They beat Indiana 90-69 to after they had lost by two to, to Gonzaga. Like, what do you think is the fairest assessment of Duke right now with these three superstars they have playing? Uh, Danny, I love the rational approach here. I love it. <laughs> I, I, I think it's terrific because I've spoken with a number of coaches just about Duke, its talent, and to be frank, they're, they're as wowed in many ways as the general public and the media is, but they're, they're no doubt they're vulnerable, okay? They look great at home. Um, they might not lose a home game this year. I mean... Geez, Zion Williamson should come with a Jimi Hendrix soundtrack every time he takes off the floor. It's incredible. Like, he has, he has exceeded the hype, and that's fantastic. But they are young. R.J. Barrett is still looking at getting to distribute better. By the way, Cam Reddish, who is projected as a potential top-five pick, I, I might be one of the first ones in on saying, let's not think that's a guarantee. Cam Reddish is a solid player, but he tends to disappear in big moments. A little bit of a reputation of being just a little bit soft with some scouts overall. They've got talent. They're going to lose some more games. They're not going to look, you know, 90% of the season like they looked against Kentucky and then against Indiana last night. So a fair, rational assessment is this is a top three team in college basketball. A lot of talent. It's going to get tripped up. The defense was great last night, but they're not always going to shoot so well. The freshmen are going to have their moments. But we can have fun talking about them, having maybe poking a little bit fun at the overreaction. They're a must-watch. And I would argue, guys, how about this? To me, Duke and Zion are the biggest must-see attraction in basketball. How long has it been since that was the case with the college team? Usually you say, Danny, you say LeBron or the NBA, the Warriors or whatever. That's true. But to me, no one is driving conversation and buzz and attention the way Zion and Duke are right now. That is a great, great thing for college troops. And I expect that to be the case in the next two to three months. It's a really good point. My kids cannot like miss a Duke game. Yeah. Um, look, you talk about Cam Reddish and I agree with you. I always felt like Cam Reddish was a really, really good um, college freshmen. I felt like the other two were already uh, pros, that being Zion and R.J. Barrett. Zion, admittedly, though, is a lot better than I thought he was. And I know he only scores he scores most of his buckets around the paint, but just athletically and physically, he looks different than everybody out on, on the court. Um, but I want to ask you about another freshman who's uh, out in Oregon, Bol Bol, who is the number, what was he, the number three recruit coming in this year? Um, what he's doing in Oregon, what are his prospects? Is he the third best freshman in the country right now? 
I don't know if he's the third best, but he's definitely top five. And Bull Bull, obviously son of Manute Bull, he has carried an interesting story with him in the buildup to his Oregon career because there was a lot of fascination with him as he got better, was shooting deep threes, could handle the ball, could pass it as a 15, 16, 70-year-old, you know, on his way to zipping past seven feet tall. He's now 7-2, uh, bordering on 7-3. He is very intriguing. Uh, Oregon is, is also fascinating, though. They lost at home to Texas Southern, a team out of the SWAC. Very bizarre. Texas Southern, though, give them credit. They also won at Baylor. So that's an incredible uh, story building there with Texas Southern. But Oregon, it should be winning that game. When you've got a talent like Bull Bull, I'm not saying we're going to get to this point, guys. I'm not equating this uh, A to B completely as a parallel. But are we going to have a season here with Bull Bull where he goes in the top five of the NBA draft after a really good year and Oregon is almost like Washington with Markel Fultz? Markel Fultz, almost no one saw him when he was fantastic as a freshman at Washington because the team won nine games. Oregon will be and should be better than that. But frankly, when you've got a talent like Bull Bull, Kenny Wooten is a fantastic defensive player on that team. Once Louis King, a really good freshman, gets involved in that, Oregon should be the best team in the Pac-12. Losing at home to Texas Southern was a little a little bit of a worrying sign, but Bull Bull has exceeded the hype. The one more question here, guys, is with scouts and stuff. They wonder, like, sometimes he just takes plays off. He just has, has a has a, an era about him where he's not as engaged as much as, say, the other guys that are projected to be top 10, top 15 picks. So I think that's going to be something he has to battle throughout his college season. But with the way he's playing right now, it's impossible to see him not going in the top 10 in the 2019 draft. All right, good stuff, Matt. Remember, next time, keep it casual. You're making us look bad. Appreciate it. <laughs> you got it. No time next time, I promise. Thanks, fellas. <laughs> All right, guys, so LeBron James is in his 16th season in the NBA, but it doesn't look like he's going to be hanging it up anytime soon. So according to an interview he did on the Tom Ferris podcast, LeBron said that he wants to be on the floor with his son, Bronny. He said, quote, my son is in the eighth grade now. If he continued on that path he's on, he could possibly be in the NBA in five to six years. So that would be an unbelievable moment for not only myself, but for my family, for everybody. So we'll see. He went on to talk about how important it is to take care of both his body and his mind for his future plan. So, Rajan Denny, this is not the first time that he's mentioned this goal of his before, but can you guys see this working? And if so, he's right. How unbelievable would this be for everyone? Um, it'd be pretty incredible to have a father and son play together in the NBA uh, or even play against each other in the NBA. Um, look, I, I love it. I think it's great. I, LeBron, like your body has to hold up, obviously. And then, you know, Bronny's a really good, like he's a really good young player. I've seen him play. Um, I've seen his teams play. Uh, but there's a lot of time between now and then. A lot of things have to fall into place. You know, for, for people, and maybe he's like his dad where nothing has fallen in place. He's just that good. good. But for, you know, regular people who aren't LeBron senior, sometimes things have to fall in place, um, to become a pro. And so, you know, there's a lot of time between now and then. There's no question LeBron could play five or six more years. I mean, he, he might not be as good, obviously, yeah. but he can still be on a team. And the bigger question is, Bronny, where does he go? And like, my question for you is he's in eighth grade. Like, wh- at what point can you see? Like, hey, this guy translates. Do you, like, can you tell this early or would you have to see, wait till he's a sophomore? Cause I mean, you're going earlier and earlier nowadays, but I'm sure for every guy that's been a Zion Williamson that's lived up to the hype, there have been a slew of guys who looked, you know, 6'3 and maybe thought they were going to be 6'9 and yeah. just tapered. And then it was like, all right, he's done growing. It does like he kind of topped out. Well, Bron- Bronny's not, Bronny's got the, his game looks like it's it right. Translate. Yeah. It looks like it could translate. Like he's got a great feel. He passes really well. He can score the ball. He's, he's got, you know, he can. You know, he can handle it. He's got all, like all of that. Um, but he's not, I don't know how big his dad was at that age. I don't think he's like really, really big. He's got decent size, but again, there are a lot of things that have to play themselves out, but the kid's game, he could play. 
So you guys remember yesterday we talked about NHL fans deciding which team their unborn son was going to root for. And today we now have parents requesting to name their kid after Baker Mayfield. I wish I was making this up. So Browns fan Ryan Trammell tweeted out the request saying, quote, My wife says if you retweet this, she will allow us to name our son Baker, who's due in June. But that's the only way she's going to consider it. Do it for the kids, literally. Mayfield retweeted it, of course, and responded saying, I love it. Can't wait to see a picture of the little man. So guys, what is with this trend of people doing crazy things in sports for their unborn children. Like, can everyone do less, please? I love it. But I think <laughs> what? what you should know, I love it. Like, it's, if she was willing to do it, but I don't know if she was willing to do it. Like, right. he said, like, hey, this is a fun way to get retweets. And all of a sudden now, he's going to have to do it. There is a there is a way out, though. You could have a middle name, Baker. Right. I don't have to call the kid sure. Baker. Um, but you should have clarified how many retweets you needed. Like, is it a million? If you really didn't want to say a billion, right. if you put something out there. But what's happened before is people have said, I need 100,000 retweets. And then they go out there and it gets like 500,000 retweets because people all want to see it happen. I cannot relate. Uh, I don't know that anyone's named their child after me. But <laughs> in Phoenix, like, um, they named a tiger after me and Steve Nash. There were two tigers. Like, and they named two tigers after us. And... I heard that a lot of people name their dog. Like, their dogs are named Raja Bell. Really? What? It's the craziest thing. Like, <laughs> no one's awesome. named a child Raja, but people name their dogs like Raja Bell in the Phoenix area. I don't know. Hold on. What about the Tigers? Are they still going? Are they, like, at the Phoenix Zoo somewhere? Yeah, they're at a zoo in Phoenix. Yeah. So their, their names um, are Raja and Steve. Ra- Raja and, and, and Nash, I think. Okay, Raja Nash, and Nash. Yeah. Yeah. Raja <laughs> and Steve. Yeah. Like the best Tiger name. Come here, Steve. Steve Come here, Steve. Get over here. But Nash is a cool name yeah, for Nash a Tiger. And Raja. Yep. I like that. Can I request a, a company field trip? <laughs> yeah, game? we do need to do that. I gotta we'll see check proof on those tigers. Yep. All right, so staying with parents. So on Tuesday night in Detroit, Tim Hardaway Jr. pulled off a fadeaway jumper to beat the halftime buzzer. His father, former NBA star Tim Hardaway, was in the audience for this one. So naturally, right after he made this shot, the camera panned over to him to get a reaction shot of his son's hot play. Check this out. His face is completely stone yeah. cold. He has no reaction. So, Danny and Raj, I have to ask, do you guys play it cool like this with your kids during games, or are you that over-the-top cheerleader parent? And, Danny, don't lie. <laughs> I would be – I would be – I wouldn't go crazy. Like, I'm not crazy over the top, but I yeah. would cheer. Like, I would I would get excited. Right. But I wouldn't be, like, jumping up and down crazy. I would get excited. I would show emotion. That looks like he lost a bet or something yeah. on the game. Yeah, I play it really cool when they're successful. Like, no, seriously, when yeah. they when they do something like kids score touchdowns or throw a touchdown or get a three or whatever, I – I keep it like that. I keep it like Tim. But when things ain't going well, like, <laughs> or I need, it. I'm like, yo, you need it. You know, I get loud and animated for that. But if they're successful moments, like, I just keep it, I keep it one. No reaction. Not really. Not even a golf clap. Like, good job, kid. Way to nah, go. I'm, Nothing. Like, my wife and my mom and they're all of they're, 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 they're doing, doing my sister, they're doing it. I'm like, hey. Yeah. I think that's a good parenting skill. I like it. It's like tough love. They gotta keep, <laughs> they gotta keep doing it. Alright, that's all for Socially Relevant. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canal and Bell. Coming up next, Danny and Raja break down today's leftovers. Come on back to Off the Bench. Alright, let's finish it off with some leftovers. So, Devin Booker. Yep. Young star in the making out in Phoenix. He had some interesting quotes, uh, with Yahoo Sports. He said he would like to build a super team. Okay. His quote, I'd like the super team to come to me. That's through free agency. People seeing what we have here with the big fella talking about DeAndre Ayton and myself and wanting to join in on that to retire heights. Then I'm with that. Just signed a five year, 158 million contract extension with the Suns over the offseason. It's safe to say that he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Can he build it? Um, My question for you. Uh, like, while I, yeah, who wouldn't want a super team to play with? 
Um, is he attractive to go? Like, is he enough? I mean, now, early in he, his career. So he's a young, attractive player, like in terms of his ability, um, what he could help you do as a, as a good player. But I don't know that super team status. I don't know that he's in that category yet. Do you know what I mean? He's a young, burgeoning star. Like, he's not a star yet. So when you're talking about attracting the guys that are already in their prime, I don't know that him and DeAndre Ayton do that. Like, I'm just being honest. But he could, him, DeAndre Ayton, and another young star, if you got them all locked up and their windows matched, like, it could materialize into, like, a super team. In, like, four or five or six years down the road. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, yeah. like, they're not going there to play with him and DeAndre Ayton right now. Like, your, your LeBron's, your, your KD's, like, I don't imagine right. they're going to Phoenix to play. No, with and they're not going to play with somebody else. They're saying, no, young fellow, you come. Well, that's the team. other part of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, yeah, it's gotta correct. be almost somebody younger equivalent to their age to, for them to be attractive. Cause correct. there's an ego thing that's involved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. With, uh, Phoenix though, it does seem, like, no big free agents ever do really pick that as a destination. Steve I Nash did. was really the last one. You, you actually about? are ranked <laughs> as the number nine Suns free agent signing that ever. And speak. that might be wrong. Like, you're probably higher than that. That does not speak to, like, them being able to sign free agents. Because, like, if I'm number nine, there's a problem there. <laughs> well, that's my there's question. A real problem so That's there. my question. Like, why well, don't more teams go there? Isn't it tax-free state? Uh, I think that's why a lot of guys go there in the offseason. Yeah, I think it's up there. It's pretty low. Weather's good. Like it's nice. It is. It's not. Weather's nice. Like it's weather is nice. You have to leave in the summers because it gets really, really hot. But no, it's a look. The weather's beautiful. The town is beautiful. Um, the people are fantastic. Like it's a, it's a, it's a cool place to live. When, but I've only lived there when, when the suns were like one of the best shows in basketball. Like, I haven't lived there through the lean years where the talking stick arena or walking stick arena is empty. Like, <laughs> right. we were always packed. Everyone wanted to be a part of what we were doing. Like, the the community loved us, and we loved them back, and so it was a good time to be there. I can't speak to what it is now, but I had a blast in Phoenix. It's one of my favorite places. If I had any family on the West Coast, I would have made home base Phoenix. Yeah, it's pretty I have cool all town. my family on the East Coast. Yeah, it's a good spot. Uh NFL news. So Michael Vick, one of the uh better quarterbacks uh that the NFL has seen as far as running the football, yeah. has some advice for Lamar Jackson, who has been running the football a lot. So his quote, he spoke with ESPN. He said, with quarterbacks, we're not used to getting hit all the time. When we do it, it can either get you into the game or it can shake you up a little bit. It's not like a guy sitting in the pocket. You run the risk of getting injured. I'm not saying that you should deter Lamar or scare him. I'm just saying proceed with caution. And I think that is very sage advice for somebody sure. who did make a living, did make some incredible plays, but also I think learned, especially later in his career, how to protect himself, how to make sure that he didn't get hurt. Because that's... You want to use, especially in today's NFL, you want to use your running capabilities. Yeah. You have an advantage over guys like Brady and Brees who can't run. Right. Ultimately, you do have to be able to throw the football, but use those. Like, the, Lamar Jackson has sick skills running the football. Yeah. And obviously, you're seeing the Ravens do that. But I think we say proceed with caution. It's a couple of things. One, protect your body. It's also get up to speed as a passer so you don't have to rely on that. And so the play callers don't rely on that so much. Correct. And I think it's, it's good advice. And you touched on all of it. Like, look, yes, to play that position, you have to be able to throw from the pocket. You have to be able to make plays. You have to do all of that. But why give up, like, one of the best advantages you have, which is your legs and your ability to kind of create with those. But you have to be smart about getting down, like getting the chunks of yardage and pulling the Russell Wilson. And you see a lot of quarterbacks now doing it. Like they're not running to get an extra three yards. They're getting down. They're picking up what they can pick up and get down. I think that's really good advice for Lamar. So you had a tiger named after you. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I want a cow named after me. <laughs> and I want it to be the cow, the Aussie cow. Is that that big, massive, yes. big for nothing? I want that guy to be called DK. You know what? That's Bring like, it. That's like the 
a 6'10 kid walking around your high school that doesn't play basketball. It's You're big for nothing. What are you doing? Six feet four. Can't even eat it. 3,000 pounds just walking around owning that field. That's a massive cow. <laughs> that is. He's a new name.